0: Coming at you from the One Stone Recording and Mastering Studio in New Brunswick, New Jersey. This is The Way In with your host, Matt Ford. This episode of The Way In features my interview with former professional boxer and trainer Jimmy Dioria. Jimmy captured the USA Pennsylvania State Lightweight title on February 13, 1993, with a TKO victory over Gene Reed in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Jimmy retired from boxing in 1996 with a record of 20 wins, 7 losses, and 0 draws. In 1999, he founded the Phoenixville Area Police Athletic League boxing program. Jimmy currently manages and trains fighters from Pennsylvania. Without further delay, here is The Weigh-In with Jimmy DiOria. Please introduce yourself to my listeners. Uh, Jimmy DiOria. At what age did you start boxing? I was 12 years old. Growing up, who was your favorite fighter? Julio Cesar Chavez. Do you have an all-time favorite professional bout?
1: Um, three rounds of uh, when uh, Hagler fought Thomas Hearns. Please tell
0: us about your amateur boxing career.
1: I had about 100 amateur bouts. Um, and, um, I was able to go to Ireland two times to compete. I went to Canada, um, traveled around the United States, got a lot of good experience. Um, my father would take me from Phoenixville to Philadelphia to train every day. Um, I was down at the Front Street Gym. John Mulvaney's original gym at the Front Street Gym, uh, front and poplar, um, that's where we used to train. And um, that's where I got a lot of my uh, amateur, uh, all my amateur experience was, was with John uh, from that
0: gym. When did you turn professional?
1: Uh, So I fought uh, amateur from age 12 to age 20. So then when I was uh, turned 20, um, 1990, I went professional. Cool. In
0: 1990, you fought William Morales in your second professional bout at the legendary Blue Horizon. That was the first of many fights at the Blue Horizon over the span of your career. What was it like for you to fight at this legendary Philadelphia boxing venue for the first time? It was a great honor.
1: I mean, I was, uh, you know, I come from the suburbs uh, of Philadelphia, so it was, um, you know, it was tough, uh, you know, uh, making, my, making my stake. But uh, I learned from in the amateurs that I really had to, you know, win fights decisively in order to get decisions because I was always the out-of-town guy. So coming into the city and fighting Philadelphia fighters from the suburbs was never an easy task. I mean, Philly has such a reputation with tough fighters at every level in the amateurs and professional but what John and my father did with me is they prepared me from the amateurs we would go to different gyms to spar all over in Philadelphia so I felt very confident in my abilities to, to compete with these other boxers from Philadelphia so I, I had uh, all the confidence in the world I would be fine now fighting at a you know when you're, when you're in when you're, when you're doing your boxing career, you're not thinking of like, oh my God, this place is so legendary, I have to fight better. You're just thinking like, no, this guy in front of me is trying to beat me, I'm going to have to really fight hard no matter where I'm at, you know? So it was always like, you kind of knew like, wow, the Blue Horizon, it's always on TV and stuff like that. It's a famous place uh, for everybody. It just so happened that I live 45 minutes from the Blue Horizon and I'm able to uh, compete there because that's where I, uh, I'm
0: honing my skills from the Philadelphia area. Right. On February 13th, 1993, you fought Scranton's Gene Reed for the Pennsylvania State lightweight title. Please tell my listeners what it was like to win this title. It was a great feeling for me because, um, um, you know, I I trained so hard
1: for that fight, like for every fight. But, um, you know, Gene was a big name up in the Scranton area, and I had built up my name around this area. So it was almost like, you know... Um, we both had solid records, and we had some, you know, good fights leading up to that. So, um, but I had to go into his hometown to win, and it's never an easy task to do that. Mm-hmm. So we were like, man, we're going to have to like probably knock him out to win the fight. And um, it's a good thing the fight ended because um, he wasn't able to come out for the eighth round. Um, and uh, I think one judge may have had me behind on the scorecards mm-hmm. in the end. So it was like um, really uh, important that I. Uh, didn't let that fight go to the distance and um, you know, it just worked out the right way for me and I was really happy for my team that we were able to uh, to win that fight and, uh, and get that state belt. So Don Elbaum at the time who was making a lot of my fights leading up to that, he was able to arrange for that fight to be made. So I had started off my career professionally with uh, Russell Peltz. Mm-hmm. So he would promote my fights um, my first uh 16 fights or so. I don't know if it was that many, but um, my first my first handful of fights with, was with, with uh, Russell Pelts. So then, after I had so many fights, I had two losses on my record. Um, uh, we went over with Don Elbaum, and he said, "I can make you some good fights. Um, I'll pick up where Russell left off, and we'll try to work out some fights. Get you get you back, get you a couple of good wins here. Get your confidence up again." So I was coming off, you know, a loss or whatever. And um, he said, uh, so let's do that. So anyway, I guess the buildup was going to be um, get to that state title fight and then go from there. And that was like a nice goal for us at that point. So um, that's kind of how we, how we worked it. So we, we uh, went up there to Scranton and, and got that fight. Cool.
0: You fought a number of champions during your career, including Charlie Brown, Kelvin Seabrooks, Angel Manfredi, Charles Murray, and Ivan Robinson. Who was the toughest opponent you faced during your career?
1: Well, I mean, they, man, they were all tough in their own ways. Um, man, Freddie didn't have that big name yet when I fought him, but uh, we went to Indiana and. Um, and he hit me in the second round. I got knocked down, and I was, like, I was like, "Wow, this like this guy can really punch." You know, I didn't expect that because he didn't have a, he his, his didn't didn't appear to be a big guy. Mm-hmm. He was kind of like a smaller guy right. fighting at the lightweight division, and I had uh, taken some fights at 140, and I was like, "Wow, you know, he was he was uh, had some good pop in his punches." The fight ended up going to the distance, and I lost the decision. So he was good, and I, I, I remember his punching power. Ivan Robinson, I had plenty of experience with him coming from Philadelphia. We boxed as amateurs, we used to spar together, and I knew he was just really gifted as far as his ability goes, but I felt that I had the endurance and the toughness to get through to him to beat him. And um, he was tough in the fact that um, he just was a really good boxer, good on his legs and things like that, and um, he he brought a lot of good things to the table. As far as Charles Murray goes, boxing him, um, it doesn't get much better than that. What I remember about him in that fight is his jab. I never fought a a, a guy with such an educated jab like the way he had. He would throw the jab from so many different angles. I remember coming back in the corner telling John and my dad, you know, like, he's not hurting me, but I just can't get past his jab. Right. He had such a, a natural jab, you know, and he had that height... Um, So that fight went to distance, but it didn't work out for me. But, uh, you know, these were different guys. I remember certain things about each one of them. Um, Charlie uh, White Lightning Brown, tough as nails. Oh, my God, I hit him with everything. He knocked me down, cut me on top of the head. Um, I got back up, we had a slugfest, and it ended up getting stopped in the seventh round. Mm -hmm. Um, Just. Yeah, I can see why he was a champion, or at least a top contender, because he was a, he was, he was a rough character in the ring. He just, you know, just a tough guy. Um, Calvin Seabrooks, he brought a lot of experience to the ring. I fought him at a time where he was coming off some losses. You know, granted, he wasn't in it for the same reason I was. I was looking to beat everybody I could to get that experience. And, you know, I, I ended up stopping him later in the rounds. But, you know, again, he brought that experience factor to the ring. I needed that kind of uh, fight at, the, at that point in my career. Um, so it was, you know, like I said, they were all good experience fights for me. Um, some of them I won. The most important ones I lost, which has led to my eventually when I retired. You know, I was still young when I retired, but I was like, well... I had a chance to beat a couple of these guys at the top of my game. I wasn't able to get over that hump, and it was like, well, you know, my dad and, and I had traveled to Philadelphia every day mm-hmm. for all these years, from age 12 to age 26, and it was, it was tough on us, you know. It was you know, it a was, it was rough, rough, rough road for us to travel a lot, you know. Right. But um, we enjoyed it, but we were like, you know what, this might be a good time for, you know, time to kind of bail out. You're still young got all your utensils still like this you know and i can Mm -hmm. i had the police officer job that i can go on to which is what i did i went you know full-time with the police department um back in 95 so um, up until that point i was working part-time and boxing was my number one priority at that time so yeah it kind of worked out okay i was okay with leaving the game and my father was too but we still wanted to still be a part of the game um so then my dad my dad, and John started working with Harry Yorgi. They started training him, and then I came in and started managing Harry. Um, and so we kind of put the team back together, except Harry would be in the ring. Me, John, and my dad would be on the outside helping him prepare for his fights. So um, we were still able to stay involved in the game in that respect. My father became a hell of a trainer from working with me, working with John, and the things he learned over the years. He became a really good cup man. Stan Malinowski used to um, stand a cut man. Oh, stand a cut man, stand, yeah. Yeah, he, um, he used to teach my dad some good tricks about being a cut man and, and stuff like that. So he was able to uh, learn a good trade. He could stop cuts, he could train boxers, and he could just, you know, bring a lot of good experience as far as uh, also on the outside of the ropes, as far as managing guys and stuff like that. So he, so, uh, he wanted to continue uh, in the fight game, just not with my career, with other, you know, other things.
0: After you retired from boxing in 1996 with a 20 win, seven loss, and zero draw record, you went on to find the Phoenixville area Police Athletic League. What year did you find this organization?
1: Um, started PAL 99. So I was done boxing in 96, 97, 98. My dad and I were like, "Man, we got all this time now." And, uh, I mean, I was working a full time job. Um, he was be- being an electrician, but and John was kind of retired from boxing a little bit Mm -hmm. and then like I said they started working with Harry down here at the Civic Center and then um, my dad was like you know what why don't we why don't you start the boxing program through a PAL so I uh, was able to get endorsements from the local municipalities Um, I got the endorsement from the borough to grant us the uh, space down at the boxing gym and we did it through a PAL so I had a lot of kids come out and sign up so I brought my experience as police officer with my experience as boxer, kind of combined it to start a PAL, keep kids off the streets, kind of like give to boxing the boxing gig to me, you know, show oh, these yeah. kids how to fight, take them to Philly, get them some experience as the amateurs and see where it goes, you know, just, you know, try it out. So now our, our one program of boxing has since um, grown to other programs. We offer like six or seven other programs here in the community for the kids. And it really uh, gives me another avenue, you know, besides my police officer job. And being in the ring fighting, it gives
0: me something else to kind of work on and and help the kids out. That's awesome. Who are some of the trainers that you currently work with at the Phoenixville area, PAL? Um, I have Skeevy Willis Foreman. uh, He's from Phoenixville. Joe O'Ann.
1: He lives just over at uh, Bridge in Montclair. His father was a really well-known uh, Irish Joe Rowan, a uh, oh, really yeah. good boxer in the day. And Joe grew up with a boxer in his house. I mean, his dad was really good. He fought at Madison Square Garden a few times. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can check him out on BoxRec yeah. if you want. Um, he had a, a really good career. And, uh, again, he had the, um, you know, he had to come from, from Phoenixville to go into Philly to get that experience, you know, so right. he had to travel a lot. So uh, it's, it's kind of tough coming from the suburbs and, uh, you know, making it like that. But, yeah, so then I've, I've, I, I have Jake Martinez who helps me out, Jamie Zimmerman. Um, I have, uh, you know, various uh, people that come down from time to time to help me out with the kids, you know. And, and they help out when they can, and I appreciate their help. And they're, you know, trying to do a good thing to help the kids out, show them a thing or two, keep them out of trouble after school. You know, the hours are three p.m. seven p.m. Kids can get into trouble after school, so basically we PAL gives the kids a place to go. And if they want to try boxing, they can. We show them a few things, and at least they're off the streets during that time
0: frame. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Are there any professional fighters coming out of the Phoenixville area PAL that fight fans should keep an eye out for? Uh, right now, we
1: we don't have anybody right now. We've had boxers over the years. We had uh, we had Harry Urge, We had um, Jules Blackwell. We had Kevin Garcia. Sammy Berman. Um, you know, just to name name a few. We had a lot of boxers, but they just they haven't been able to reach the higher level. So it's okay, you know. They come through a PAL program, when they get to a certain age, if they still want to pursue their boxing career, we help them out, we help guide them a little bit. If they want to go professional, uh, Joe and I and Skeebie will make sure that they're matched up correctly in a fair fight, and make sure they don't
0: get hurt. And if they do, we take care of them. You know, we just uh, make sure that they have a good experience from it. That's great. You talked a little bit earlier about some of the fighters that you managed. Do you still manage fighters?
1: Um, my last uh, boxer that I had was Ronald Cruz. Mm-hmm. And Ronald did such a beautiful job in his career. He came from Bethlehem. Made a, uh, we had a, a good team as well. It was uh, me managing Russell Peltz as, as the uh, promoter. Mm-hmm. And Ronald got in there and did the fighting. He was trained very well. He had Alec Morales in the beginning, and then he went over to uh, Indio Rodriguez. Those guys did a good job preparing Ronald for his fights. And um, Alec had Ronald as an amateur and then prepared him to, into the pros And then Indio came in and helped out. Um, So they made my job easy. Ronald was always in the gym training hard. He fought well. He had such a big Puerto Rican following Mm -hmm. up in Bethlehem. And when we fought at the Sands Casino up there, Ronald was the first one to open the door up there for other boxers. We had Russell did an outdoor event before they had the event center at the Sands. And and Ronald was the main attraction against um, the Welkowskio. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the place was was mobbed I mean, it was sold out everybody was coming up there for tickets and ronald stopped him in uh, i forget what round it was but he looked so good and everybody was like ronald cruz man this is going to be great <laughs> and i loved i had such a good time working with ronald being involved in his career uh we were like family we still are we keep in touch but um so proud of what he did uh, coming from a, a town of bethlehem and doing what he did um put Bethlehem on the map,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: he opened the doors for a lot of new boxers coming up. And now they fight at the Sands Casino all the time up there. It's, yeah, it's yeah. on TV. And Ronald was, uh, he set the stage for future kids. And it was just an honor to be able to manage his career to where it got to a point where he had to retire from an injury, an eye injury. Oh, yeah. It's such yeah. a sad thing because this kid has so much left inside of him. He wanted to keep boxing. He just, you know, for health reasons, you just, you just have to know when pull the plug. You have to come out, you know? Could he have fought again? Yes. But there's a risk where he could lose his eye vision.
0: Right, you right. Know? And,
1: I, and then Ronald, I said, Ronald, listen, you're still young. You got all your faculties. You're, you're in good shape. Um, health-wise, mentally, physically, you got a family to look after. Don't forget about it. What if you lose your vision one time? It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. And we had a good talk about it. And we cried together. I mean... I didn't want to see him retire like that. He wanna go out on his own terms. Mm-hmm. But the bond that we build together when you get involved with working with these kids is it's like no other sport out there. When you bring a kid up and you see him in the ring, giving everything he's gotta give, and you get to you get to know what this kid, the struggles that this kid goes through all his life. And then you see him in the ring, win, lose, or draw. You just can't help with the love. You know, it's just a bond that managers have with their fight some managers have with their fighters and some trainers and, and boxers have together it's, it's a unique bond that 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 you know, is like no other so uh we come very close together from working together like that and like i said his career ended too 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 soon but i had a great time while it lasted we had some fun together
0: do you find it challenging to balance your career as a police officer family life training and managing fighters yeah i mean it's it's a
1: juggling act but um i'm happy my wife you know she she, you know puts up with me doing it i have i have three good kids at home and um they they know i love this and they 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 support me doing it and um it gets tough when uh when my son has baseball season and basketball season and and soccer season because now i got to go to the gym now i got to go to and i want to be there for all his events but sometimes it's It's really hard sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. But he understands. And he, he likes the boxing program. He doesn't do it. He does it sometimes. But he understands that this is what I do, and he supports my boxers. He comes to their fights and cheers for them. And some of my boxers have gone to see my son play in his games. Oh, that's So awesome. it's, it's a mutual love respect, uh, respect between us, and um, so we, uh, you know, we do what we we like, and um, we all have fun doing it. And um, so I get good support from my family, who's always supported me no matter what. But yeah, and the guys I work with um, at the police station, they know I run PAL. Um, it's a big responsibility when you work with kids but they understand that and um i have good support from uh, my police officer friends and um, my co-workers and my family and friends who know that this is what i do and um, you know they support that so that, that's helpful
0: that's great do you have any current favorite fighters triple g triple g yep. yeah <laughs> i mean he just fought the other night and um
1: jacobs gave him such a good fight yeah it was, it was a good fight you know either guy probably could have won the fight but i'm glad he won Yeah, you know, i like triple g that's my guy right there so
0: yeah but, very uh, talented fighter yeah, yeah definitely what are your thoughts on the current state of boxing
1: well you know i guess you could ask you know anybody to give you different answers um i think boxing will always be here but um I think it's all about supporting your local, your local talent. I mean, um, a kid like Danny Garcia out of Philadelphia, I mean, he has a nice following from the area and things like that, and you want to see him make it on that worldwide level. But, I mean, you got to support your local guys. Like, like example would be with, with Ronald Cruz, how his whole community would support this kid when he got up in there to fight. And it's, it's a really good thing, and that's how boxing is going to make it, is, you, you know, a kid from Bethlehem, um, staging a main event in his own hometown, everybody coming out to support that. That's huge, you know? And that was something that um, HBO would, would would love. They get behind guys with big followings that can fight, mm-hmm. you know? And you have to be like, you know, that's that's what boxing kind of needs. Like when I'm um, Mansoor fought Kaufman the other night. Pretty fight, you yeah. Know, that fight was originally supposed to take place someplace else, mm-hmm. but they made it kind of where it made more sense. Not. Not out of another state where you've, you know, really... Neither guy is from that state. Mm-hmm. Okay, TV's going to televise it, but really the excitement is hometown guys and the fans buying tickets to go see these guys fight each other and, and really make their mark, you know? So, I mean, I think boxing will make it, but it's going to be harder for these promoters to build guys up, like, because they have to, like, really... Take money out of our pocket sometimes to make these shows go. These smaller shows, like what, what Peltz is doing, you know, he's doing it the way he the only the only way he knows how, and that's to with local talent, building these guys up the right way, making sure they're fighting the right fights, and selling tickets. It's hard for fighters. There's a lot of responsibility. When when we book the call, uh, fight for Ronald, first thing he gets is tickets in the mail. So not only does this kid have to prepare himself for a big ten round fight against a killer. On TV, on national TV, buddies gotta go, go out and sell tickets.
0: Yeah, yeah you know
1: what I'm saying? And like it's a big responsibility for these boxers, but that's the name of the game. It's what you gotta do. And it's hard building your building yourself up to get to that higher point where you don't actually have to go around hustling tickets, but when you're trying to make your stake in the game and build yourself up, build your career, build build your name, those are the sacrifices you have to make. So, you know, boxing will make it, you know, but it's it's tough right now it's it's um you know hopefully they they keep giving good fair decisions on tv mm-hmm. I mean, give good fair decisions if a guy wins a fight make sure he's you know he really he gets that decision bad decisions hurt boxing because like people see that like yeah boxing's crooked no well, it's not crooked the judges mm-hmm. just got it wrong you know they really need to educate the judges to make sure that the right guy wins I mean, you know it's, un- it's so unfair, it hurts when a guy loses a bad decision. a guy wins a fight. You don't understand all the challenges these fighters have through their boxing careers and in life to get to that level. Mm-hmm. If they win eight out of ten rounds, and the- and he loses a decision, and everybody watches it on TV, and they're like, Oh, my God. Yeah, he, did- he should have won that fight. You-, you-, you kind of feel bad, but you really don't know what that fighter had to go through to get to that point. You know, you... you- it really it kills some of their careers, you know? Yeah.
0: So, and, then, and then you have the fans questioning the integrity of the sport and, yes. and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. and
1: that, that, that could be a problem. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So. Is there anything else you'd like to say to my listeners?
1: Oh, no, that's, that's all. <laughs> good. Boxing fans are good fans. So, uh, But uh, continue to support your uh, your hometown local boxers. Get out there, buy tickets, go see them fight, and just understand that these these guys give everything to be the best. And um, f- at the four-round level, six-round level, 10, 12-round level, I mean, building your way up, just appreciate the fact that these, these kids, they really try hard. They come through programs like I have here in Phoenixville, out, uh, suburban, uh, uh, out in the suburbs, kind of like what Cruz did in Bethlehem. Um, support these guys because they really give everything they got. When they get in the ring, they, they're really well prepared, and um, they want to impress
0: the crowd, impress their fans. So go out and support these guys. Very well said, Jim. Thank you very much for sitting down with me this evening. Thanks for coming down. I appreciate it. You can learn more about Jimmy Dioria and the Phoenixville Pal via a series of links to websites in the notes section of this episode. The next episode of The Weigh-In will air on May 24th and will feature my interview with former professional boxer and trainer Lou Issa. Lou is currently on the training staff of GH3 Boxing Gym in Woodland Park, New Jersey. As an amateur boxer, Issa compiled an impressive record of 7-1 with his only loss to future heavyweight champion Larry Holmes. Lou fought professionally from 1975 to 1981 and compiled a record of 19 wins, 6 losses, and 1 draw. On October twenty second, 1977, Issa fought future WBA world heavyweight champion, John Tate. You can listen to The Weigh-In Podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. If you listen to the show on iTunes, please leave us a rating. This will help other listeners find the show. If you would like to contact The Weigh-In staff, you can reach us through social media and email. Our contact information is posted in the notes section of the episode. We love to hear from our listeners. That does it for the eighth episode of The Weigh In. The Weigh In is brought to you by One Stone Recording and Mastering in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Check out One Stone Recording and Mastering for all of your mixing and mastering needs. Go to onestonerecording.com slash weigh-in and receive 10% off your first session. Special thanks to Jimmy Dioria and you, the listeners, for being a part of our eighth episode. You can now be like our friend, JP Favera and support The Weigh In on Patreon. You can support us for as little as $1 a month. Your pledge will go directly towards travel expenses and studio fees. Thank you again, JP, for being a part of our team. I hope the weather in Florida is great. Until next time, I'm Matt Ward, and this is The Way In.